0: and Den- Denver Planning Board reviews and makes recommendations to the mayor and Denver City Council on rezoning requests, district design standards, and other land use rules. This meeting of the Denver Planning Board begins
1: now.
2: Yeah.
0: Yes, <laughs> okay. yeah. Sarah. Here. Rachel. Here. Jordan, here. I am the Dread presiding today in the absence of Nathan Condor. We do have a quorum. Uh I'd like to give a moment before we begin with the rest of the agenda to our newest member Sarah, who's joined us today, to uh introduce himself. So I'm Sarah for I'm the director of for you guys in the line to my
3: number
0: uh, and we'll start the meeting today, as we always do with the opportunity for members of the public who wish to address the planning board with something that is not otherwise on the agenda. You would have three minutes in this to do so. Uh, if there's anybody in the room who comes to speak on something that is not on the agenda, please let us know. I don't believe we have anybody signed up and don't see anybody raising their hand on Zoom. We will move on. Uh, we will start with meeting records. We, we have two meeting records for approval today. Uh, the first is from June 21st, and the members who were with us that day include Mary and Bill, Sosa, Biden, Rachel, and myself. Would I get a motion to approve those meeting records? Thank you. A second. And we'll do a quick roll call vote. Mary? Aye. 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 Rachel? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The second meeting records we have on the agenda are from July 19th. Attended with that meeting were Mary, Mandela, Melissa, Jordan, and myself. I have a motion to put those Thank you. A second. Thank you. Thank you Mary. Mary? Hi. Melissa. Jordan. Uh, I vote I will. What uh, is ahead of the agenda today, is there anyone who has any conflicts or disclosures amendments? See not from anyone else I'd like to make, what is not actually the disclosure clarification. Uh give me official map of the amendment that these are enough the problems in the university neighborhood uh, and just I note that I share a somewhat their last name with the applicant but the applicant is not known to me part of the We have an item scheduled for the consent agenda however we definitely sign up to speak on that and so we will go ahead and have a public hearing and we will Blair, the public meeting on official map amendment application 2023 I and 00040, 000 zero, rezoning multiple properties from the University Park neighborhood from USUC to USUC1 Over. With Frank here's the Great, thank
4: you very much. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Brent Benito, and I'm a senior city planner with uh, planning services. And today, I am going to present you a um, request six properties in yeah. Okay, so um, let's start with a request. So this is an African reading application uh, It's requesting to change the zoning classification for the properties at 1825 South Marion Street, 1906 and 2126 South William Street, 1900 1931 and 1967 south humboldt street to a district that would allow for the touch accessory let's look at the location and context so all the properties are located in kelson district six and they are all in the virginia village neighborhood. the properties are currently zoned in the urban single unit c zone district which in this location would allow only for the urban house building form in a minimum solid size of 5,500 square feet. Yeah. I
0: apologize for having a yeah. kind of, Oh.
4: This kind is of, what happens when you go too long without presenting in time you <laughs> Oh. Sorry about that, that's my bad. Okay, so I'll go quick. So my name is Trampeñaquiel, Senior City Planner, and I am gonna present an overview for uh, this rezoning that it's looking at, it's requesting to rezone six properties uh, to allow for it use. So it is an applicant-driven application requesting to change the zoning classification for the properties at 1825 South Marion Street, 1906, and 2125 South William Street, 1900, 1931, and 1967 South Humboldt Street. So a district that would allow for the detached accessory units. The subject properties are located in Council District 6, and they are all in the Virginia Village neighborhood. The properties are currently in the urban single-unit C zone district, which in this location would allow only for the urban house building form in a minimum zone of size of 5,300 square feet. As you can see in the map, the properties are all surrounded by properties also zoned USUC. But there is the one property there on Williams that it's actually next to a row home zone district. Um, But you're going to see in the next slide when we see the land use that that property is actually a single unit, even when it's uh, zoned for a row house. You can see here, uh, this is the land use map, and all the sites are surrounded by other single unit uh, residences. So these two next slides uh, show us the the properties we're looking at rezoning, and gives us a little bit of an idea of the character of the neighborhood. We have the other Now, let's take a quick look at the process. Informational notice of the application was sent on June 15, 2023. Planning board notice was sent out on August 1st. And currently, city, flat, uh, city council public hearing is temporarily set for authority. 16th. To date, staff has received five letters of opposition and one letter of support from the community. Most of the letters of opposition reference concerns with increased traffic and uh, street parking. Now moving on to the review criteria in the Denver zoning code. For a rezoning to be recommended for approval by Planning Board, it must be found that the request map amendment is consistent with five review criteria found on the Denver zoning. Code. Our role as staff planners is to evaluate the requested district, in this case the USUC one, against these five criteria. The first criteria is consistency with adopted plans. There are two plans applicable to this rezoning. We have comprehensive. Plan 2040, and we have Blueprint Denver. Looking at Blueprint Denver, the subject properties are mapped as part of the urban neighborhood context in Blueprint Denver. And the future places map designates them as low residential place type. These place types have predominantly single and two unit uses, and accessory dwelling units are appropriate. Marion, Williams, and Humboldt Street are local or undesignated streets, which are mostly characterized by residential uses blueprint also includes includes specific re- policy recommendations housing policy four focuses on diversifying housing choice through the expansion of accessory dwelling units throughout all residential areas now moving on to criteria number two and three staff also finds that the requested rezoning meets the next two criteria the rezoning will result in uniformity of district regulations and it will further the public health safety and welfare primarily through the implementation of adopted land use plans blueprint denver specifically recommends the city diversify housing choice through the expansion of accessory dwelling units throughout all residential areas the plan was adopted after the date of approval of the existing zone district therefore this is an appropriate justifying circumstance for the proposed rezoning. lastly the proposed rezoning is consistent with the urban neighborhood context residential district and the usuc1 zone district purpose and intent. Staff does recommend that planning board recommend approval of the proposed rezoning based on finding that all review criteria have been met. Uh, The applicant is present, I think, on Zoom to answer any questions.
0: Thank you. We will then move on to public comment signed up or First we have Andy, uh, Oh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Please go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, I was muted as I came I'm on just
5: no, no. Um, I, I own a house on uh, the 2100 South uh, Humboldt um, block. Uh, I have owned it since uh, 2008. I'm in support of these ADUs. Um, I think it's a wonderful addition to the neighborhood. I walk through the neighborhood daily. I ride my bike through this neighborhood daily. Uh, my house is on that little zoomed in map. Um, that you guys are showing. So I know the neighborhood very intimately. Really. Um, so I just want to uh, express my support and think that these are wonderful additions to these houses. I've seen these houses personally, and I, I don't think it's like overcrowding the yard or anything like that. I just want to express my support. I have no knowledge of any of the people that own these houses. Uh, I just saw that there was some opposition online and just wanted to support um, these uh, owners getting there um, in this process. So that's all I have today.
0: Great, thank you, sir. Bye the most part, next in line is hardware and and I need to we have about three minutes. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Go
5: ahead, thank you. Yes, I'm in the middle of the block in where in the area where the three ADUs are. I think there are two, three, and five. So I've lived here since 2015. And I have rental properties on both sides of my current house. And the house to my south currently last renters had about six cars that were parked there. And then to the north or to the south, I'm sorry, is a, are actually two properties. They actually have an existing ADU, or I guess they call it a granny house that uh, also requires parking. So during the DU school year, parking, parking on this block is extremely bad. Uh, rarely do I get to park during the day and I think I have people come over and say well it's street cleaning I said well none of these are my cars Uh, I do have parking in the back the house that is currently on the corner that is uh, up for an ADU currently does not have parking in the back they have a garage but they have a car parked next to the sidewalk so my main concern is during DU we are one of the first streets where long-term parking uh, more than an hour or at a Jewel has an hour. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Franklin only parks on one side, but we get a lot of people with backpacks that park in front of the house the entire day and then leave for the day. So uh, during, I see those nice pictures that they put up showing that there were no cars parked in front of the house, but parking in this area, and if you're going to add ADUs, assuming every house has one or two cars or every living arrangement has one or two cars, that's going to add a significant number of cars now to the existing parking that goes on my street. So uh, anyway, I wanted to pass that on. That's probably one of the biggest ones is we already have some rental properties. We already have some ADUs. I've sent letters to DU to see if we can get people to park closer to campus or allow campus on parking, but they have been unresponsive. So now we're part of the city. Uh, Again, my appeal goes out. Let's see if we can get parking in front of the houses. I don't think adding ADUs to this particular area uh, is conducive because of the, the lack of parking in the area.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Uh, next up, we have Aaron Monsinger. on Zoom. You should be able to unmute yourself now.
2: Um, yes, uh, hi, I live in
6: the neighborhood as well. I'm at um, Marion and Asbury. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't know any of these people, but I completely support this. I wish our whole neighborhood had ADUs and we didn't have to have uh, zoning meetings for Um, one-offs like this. I think we absolutely should increase the density. It helps with housing affordability um, and we absolutely do not have a parking issue. Um, There is tons of parking in the neighborhood. Perhaps (laughs) uh, not at all an issue. So very much in support of this and hope that it becomes more of a neighborhood-wide um, initiative that we allow ED to use. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Right. Do we have anyone else online who can raise, their hand and raise their hand if raised their hand to like to speak, or anybody else in the room? We do have one more. Okay, Lynn Wade. You want to unmute yourself and go ahead. You have three minutes. Your hand is up, and it looks like you should be able to unmute yourself.
2: Hello? Yes. Hi. I, I'm kind of confused as I, I also have a property on Humboldt, and um, I'm confused as to why some people think there are tons of uh, parking, and uh, it seems like many more find that the parking is congested. I, I, too, find that the area is congested with parking, so I don't know why there's a confusion. Um, I think perhaps if you want, if that would help, is to take photographs and just, you know, and uh, time stamp those photographs, if that would help.
0: You're just taking comment at this time? Is that like
7: much
2: say. I'm sorry, I can barely hear you. I'm sorry.
0: We're, we're just taking public comment at this time. We, we're not answering any questions. Uh, right, if, right. If that, oh, is, that, is there anything else you'd like to say?
2: Um, I think, um, I think it's the, the board should probably make that discernment a definitive thing to to realize what's actually happening. Okay.
0: Very good. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Sorry, nothing. time? Okay, not seeing any. Uh, I'll open it up for questions from the board. Yes,
2: um, yeah, and I
7: just had a good question. Um, I did notice in here that some of the properties are smaller. They won't be allowed to have an under the district. I thought it was acknowledged uh, in the community outreach. I'm just curious why um, you for.
4: Know. So, with the new ABUs in Denver project that got approved uh, a couple months ago, uh, we don't have any that size anymore for use so that's not relevant anymore.
0: Any further questions? No, we will close the public hearing and we can do a I think it just bears saying that the water parking issue was is really important for a lot of residents. Well, we hear that a lot because the not, for better or worse, one of the criteria we need to decide whether or not to approve or, or send our recommendation to the council for Arizona. So, if yeah, that has something that has a probably bigger discussion that a lot of people would like to have, uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, the on street parking is not owned by only one homeowner, nor is it sitting with the by those homeowners. And so, being a public amendment, it not really go into the I also would like to reply to the speaker online and say that I would also like to get to a point that we do have that hearing forever. Very good. If there's anyone else or there are would like to Yes. I just would like to commend the applicant for. Uh,
8: Find a way to come together not having reverted to the it And you have made the process when you have a way to rebuild A great way to keep life.
0: Would you like to take me? I move to recommend that the city council approve application I 0 We're running multiple properties in the university neighborhood from USDC to USDC1, finding that the applicable right is a specific OK. So, motion by three. second, for the voter. We'll put the voter on vote. What is up? Eric. Aye. And Joe. Aye. Aye. Ladies, mm-hmm. 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 I will. Uh, okay. Moving on, we will go to the next item, which is the amendment to the 3015 East tax Urban Redevelopment Plan. And the presenter today is Andrew Shaw. Oh, sorry. Right.
7: Nice to see everyone. All right. Great. Are you seeing the screen as we should right now? Or do I need to do
0: something? Right
7: Great, um, Annalise here. Here to present an amendment to an existing urban redevelopment plan over at 3015 East Colfax. Um, just to jog your memory, as I know there's a handful of new faces here. Planning Board did previously approve an urban renewal plan for this site in May of 2022. Um, following kind of the, uh, the later city council approval, um, it was kind of identified. To get a little zoom things. Um, It was identified that the project as defined by the original plan was no longer feasible and that they needed to make a modification to the scope of the project to be able to move forward with financing. Um, Because of this modification, it is considered to be substantial. And in nature, we get to go back through the process of bringing this through council as well as planning board. Um, We did kind of have a funny sequence. So it did go to FinGov and move out of city council yesterday with no further questions. Monday. day I learned how to advance slides. Thank cool. Thanks, everyone. It's a Wednesday. Um, so just a quick reminder of the Colorado State statute and really um, the role in which Planning Board plays. Um, it's intent is to really review this urban renewal plan in conformity or compliance with comprehensive plan and its associated supplements. Just to quickly kind of jog your memory of where the site is located, it's over on East Colfax in Council District 10. Um, it's currently a vacant hotel. Um, the All In Hotel it's kind of had a, a series of names over the years, but it is currently kind of vacant. Um, and that urban renewal area um, authorizes tax increment financing as a mechanism to finance the rehabilitation of the project. That rehabilitation is focused now specifically on the All In Motel building in and of itself, allowing for a rehab to create it into a 54. Um, you know, room hotel with associated retail and other opportunities on the ground floor. The prior plan did have anticipation that the kind of remaining portion of the lot with surface parking was going to be developed. Right now, though, the new project will only focus on the rehabilitation of that existing building. Just a quick jog of the existing zoning. Um, as the majority of Colfax in this area is in the general urban context, Main Street, five-story, um, zoning with surrounding mix of GMU um, Main Street as well um, at, at kind of three and five stories. No rezoning obviously is associated to this and the existing land use, while it's identified um, kind of as a commercial, it's really a vacant motel and surface parking lot, but we've certainly seen it's better days. That condition study was included in, um, and conducted in June of 2020. The urban renewal plan has nine different objectives associated to kind of addressing the um, known blight in the area. These were all outlined in the staff report, so I'm not gonna go over them today, but I think the key piece is to really, um, you know, maintain and focus on the the reuse of the existing building, both the sustainability and kind of a character preservation of kind of this, um, you know, interesting historical asset, um, even though it's not capital H historic. Um, further, you know, reinforcing many of the objectives that align also with both Comp Plan, Blue Plan and the East Area Plan, um, really kind of focusing on maintaining an active street front and area along the Volfax corridor. So, in terms of the three plans in which we must find conformity to, it is Comp Plan 2040, Blue Plan and East Central Plan. Um, I have highlighted just three, although many more were found to be consistent and are outlined in the staff report and the ordinance. Um, but I think the most kind of relevant are cited here um, in relationship to comprehensive plan focusing on the steward and reuse of existing buildings, um, even though this isn't a city property, um, but it is an existing property. From an environmental resiliency perspective, also we have strategies promoting the reuse of that building and, and you know minimizing. um demolition um, of it while it isn't formally an incentive it is a city tool to allow us for to preserve reuse rehabilitate and reactivate um, this site and then promote and build development where infrastructure and services are already in place you know the colfax corridor with brt coming along this is where we want to continue development to occur From a blueprint denver standpoint um this is in a high growth area general urban context centers and corridors so i'm just going to focus mostly on the land use and built form which once again follows in the the kind of intent of what's outlined in comp plan 2040 really focusing on the um, you know efficient use of development and land and transit rich areas once again adjacency to colfax and and relatively adjacent to downtown um, as well as you know Um, preserving that existing building for reuse. And then an additional preservation strategy focusing on um, maintaining the established character even when there's not a formal landmark designation associated to it. The East Central Plan, which was adopted shortly thereafter in 2020 also calls for a variety of um, historic preservation tactics, as well as activation of mixed use redevelopment and pedestrian oriented uses along Colfax Avenue And it speaks to the diversity of tools and mechanisms that are appropriate to use to achieve these outcomes, tax increment financing being one of them. So based on um, CPD's um, review of the comp plan and its supplements and the amendment to the urban renewal plan, we are recommending that the planning board find that the amended 3115 East Colfax urban redevelopment plan conforms to the Denver comprehensive plan and its applicable supplements. Um, Dura, both Tracy and Jeff are here. Should there be any questions about the details of this proposal? Thank you.
0: Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you very much.
7: No applicant presentation.
0: I don't see any public comments in this thing. And I've you.
6: <laughs> they, yeah, but I don't know your protocols. Uh, uh, Tracy Huggins, Executive Director of the Denver Urban Renewal Authority, that is absolutely correct. It does not preclude there being additional development on the site. To be clear, if there is additional development and it may require tax increment assistance, we would have to come back and, and amend and go through this process again. But doesn't preclude. And if, if there were to be requesting to have another bite of the apple. If they were requesting additional tax increments.
7: Yeah, my question, and Conley came to this, but I I what is it? Is it currently being used for? I know at some point was being used for two
2: additional housing. Is it still being used for that, or is it?
6: It is not. Anybody that was living there previously has been since relocated and uh, pursued additional housing options. So right now it is. It has been for quite a while. It, it is vacant today. <laughs> So the, again, what we are looking to do is to align what project will be undertaken with tax increment with the project that is being considered, which is just the renovation of the existing motel building. That again, doesn't, going back to the question a moment ago, that doesn't preclude new investment continuing on the site. And certainly if tax increment was requested, all of the same process would need to be revisited, including working with CPD and others to really address the maximization of other public benefits. So again, it's not that it's not going to happen. It just is not part of this project and therefore needed to have the project definition reflect just what is being undertaken now. Any
0: Seeing none, close public and then the mean you do going to that that i i no, Rachel. Sorry. hi Gordon. I as well. I vote in favor motion Thank you. Uh, moving on, we have an information item in, uh, programmatic information overview from Ellie and Huffy mm-hmm.
7: um on always spoke um you're kind of in a newer role and excited to share with you guys a little bit more about what is a new team that we've created in um, planning services called the programmatic plan implementation team um sorry already zoom pop up so a little distracting all right so I'm here to just give you guys an overview of what our team is trying to accomplish in two specific programs that we want to give you a little bit more information with I'm joined by my colleague P. P. Turner, who is with the Detroit Budgeting Program Manager, and she will talk a little bit more about that. Once again, the slides I've dancing. So apologies there. So um, so I think even too, like before we jump into what we're doing, I think it's a little bit of a reminder of why do we even plan in the first place? Why do we create these long-range plans? Why do we pull together communities? And I think At the end of the day, I view planning really as a mechanism to create better decision making in the city um, and really as a roadmap of how we do things, but if we aren't delivering on that roadmap to make better decisions, we're kind of just creating a lot of discussion and documents. And so I think, you know, acknowledging that we plan to allow for community members to inform the future, the the long-range development, as well as better address what both the current needs of the community are while kind of future-proofing and planning for the long-term pieces. Um, I'm sure we all probably have our own different ideas of why implementation is valuable, but I think kind of the two that I really see is ensuring that we are supporting the desired evolution of the city in alignment with the community priorities and that that really kind of comes out. Um, I also think a key piece is um, how do we build trust, right? we talk to community for years about all the things that they hope and aspire to see in their neighborhood, there's no delivery on that in a way that benefits them. It erodes trust. But if we're able to deliver on that commitment and speak to it, I think it's really a mechanism that both improves communication of of government and community. And I think participatory budgeting is an incredible um, example of that, which Kiki will talk to more. But I think it also just reinforces that until we put strategic resources towards implementation, building trust is going to kind of only be able to go so far through a planning effort. Um, We've started kind of going through and are creating a, a fairly robust um, system of monitoring and tracking plan recommendations and progress. But as part of that, I had my team poll and say, you know, if we were to look at all the adopted plan recommendations, what are kind of the buckets that they fall into and type? And I think it's important to acknowledge that over two thirds of plan recommendations on average, and some of them like each, um, it's a much higher proportion call for infrastructure changes and services or programs. And so I think this team was also really created out of the acknowledgement that while we have a fairly strong regulatory branch in, in CPD, Um, our ability to holistically implement plans is needed to have a kind of broader focus. And so, you know, if we can, um, you know, our team, I wouldn't say this is like our above all be all purpose, but what we're really wanting to do is both track the outcomes, manage them proactively to advance plan priorities, especially in areas where we need infrastructure coordination services or programs so a little bit of our approach and kind of how we're thinking about this um, is sort of improvements to existing tools so part of that is we have a lot of existing tools but maybe we just haven't been using them quite as strategically as we could um, examples of those is through the capital improvement program coordination better aligning what gets elevated and funded to the top with what has been identified through plan priorities um, our partners that, that were here just before, but um, Dura Partnerships and really ensuring that tax and financing is a tool that's being strategically used to advance land priorities and using that as a more proactive mechanism, as well as large development review is another tool that right now is, is relatively reactive to when developers come in and how can we think about that tool is a more proactive, um, you know, piece of, of regulation and framework to kind of think holistically about larger types of the city as they come in. So there's certainly improvements to existing tools that our team is working on. And then there's also new tools that we're gonna talk a little bit more about today. And those are, you know, really trying to help us further the advancement of plan recommendations. A lot of this too is building new relationships, both in community, but also across our departments, um, with, you know, partners in DOTI, parks, um, you know, Dito, Nest, um, HRCP, so on and so forth. And I think the last piece too is right, telling the story. I think, you know, community members so frequently hear the headlines of what isn't working. And I know I certainly hear a lot about that, but being more intentional about how we tell the story of our success and the progress being made of both the citywide and the small area and plan scale. So one of the programs that um, we want to speak a little bit about is the Investment Impact Special Revenue Fund. Um, and this program is something that you know we've been working on more than just a couple of months, but it's a mechanism to really help city agencies, especially those capital agencies, better understand and proactively respond to the impact of public investment. So as our partners are putting in new parks, new transit infrastructure, new recreation centers, there's a benefit to the community but also there's an indirect impact that can lead to rising costs of housing rent and have an indirect impact of um, pushing out um, existing residents and businesses. And so what we've kind of created is a mechanism for a coordinated and data-driven approach to understand, evaluate capital impacts Um, through that we are able to identify priority neighborhoods based off of the last batch of cip and bond projects that are coming in many of which are either under construction now or will be constructed over the next five years and the five priority neighborhoods on the right hand side of the screen were identified as um, these were neighborhoods that were seeing significant city investment were at high risk of displacement and therefore we wanted to take a strategic coordinated approach to putting implemented displacement programs So we now have a fund um, that allows us to actually take action on it. So it's kind of exciting. CPD actually has dollars that we're doing great change with. Um, And so in that um, funding criteria, um, we kind of wanted to look at programs that were implementing community plans. So if the community has told us this is a particular program or need, great. We wanna put dollars towards that. Um, If partner agencies, CPD is not going to implement a housing cooperative model, the host is right. So, if they're able to bring funding, leverage, and matching dollars so this fund grows and impacts, that's something that we're interested in. Demonstrating outcomes is an important one. You know, anti displacement work is a little bit of an anomaly. Um, it's kind of a, an aspect of, you know, really understanding why did people leave? Was it, you know, circumstantial or was it a result of this? What programs are most effective? So, we're certainly looking at a data driven approach once again. Understanding what programs are successful and which programs um, maybe are have have less of an impact relative to other cost and proportionality. Um, we also want to make sure that these programs are deployed in a consistent manner um, and that it is tailored to community needs, acknowledging that the community and the residents and the housing stock of East Colfax looks significantly different than Sun Valley, which looks different than Westwood and GES. Um, so all of that kind of uh, allowed us to. You know, create a mechanism where um, internal city partners can come to the table with programs that maybe they have wanted to innovate, explore, and try out um, to have additional funding towards that in these neighborhoods. So what we are able to do this year, um, or kind of start the process, if you will, is we have $2.3 million currently in the special revenue fund. Um, and we are you know, able to now support both residents and businesses that are vulnerable to displacement in those five priority neighborhoods all of this right now is being done through intentional partnerships, but broader partnerships beyond these three organizations of the Denver Department of Economic Opportunity, Housing, Stability and Human Rights and Community Partnerships. So here's a list of kind of the seven different programs that we will be funding in this grant cycle. Um, so we have some um, really awesome programs and supports for four, um, we have that type of, thank you. Um, first of small neighborhood-serving businesses in both East Colbecks, particularly during BRT construction when um, access is going to be limited and impacted, making sure that they have an appropriate online um, presence and other supports for them to be able to kind of weather that period of construction. Um, also, through DDO is a mechanism to create significant technology upgrades as well as provide a professional services um, in both East Colbecks Yes. Um, and then we are able to fund the first cooperative ownership model um, in partnership with hosts for both Westwood and East Colfax. Um, obviously, all of these important you note know, will most likely be going out of contract and bid, and you know, we'll take um, a little bit of process, but kind of the concept is what this fund is able to do in advance. Um, We're also able to supplement the existing housing navigation program and use cold that has shown good success today. Um, Also expand funding to acquire more homes in GES for community land trusts and provide um, permanently affordable homeownership. Um, And then expanded programs for small businesses in all five neighborhoods that focuses on financing and small business loans, people assistance um, and business coaching services in these areas. And then the last one is being able to create kind of an ongoing resource fair, if you will, but a hub within the Westwood Community Center that provide both housing and business supports um, on a you know daily basis, and that will actually have a fund position that will be housed there. So um, really exciting things. Some of these are expansions. Other ones are things that departments and agencies have wanted to explore and have had a lot of community conversation about, but haven't had a funding source to do that. So we're really excited about that.
9: I'm going to turn it over to Kiki to talk about TV. Thank you, Annalise. Uh, as we mentioned, my name is Kiki Turner, and I am relatively new with Community planning Development. I work as the program administrator for our participatory budgeting or our People's Budget program. So, the first question we often get is what is participatory budgeting? It's a big phrase. God bless, spell check. Uh, But it really represents a a relatively simple and impactful concept, and that's trying to improve relationships between our residents, particularly our historically underserved residents, and government. And we do that by trying to create an impactful and inclusive process that shows residents that government can be responsive to needs and interests that come up within community. So participatory budgeting is a process that cities across the country and even across the world have started to embrace. It moves through a series of stages and government's intent, at least Denver's intent, is to make each stage as community-led as possible. And the goals for a program like this are really to, as I mentioned, improve our relationships by opening up more channels of communications, increasing trust with our residents, and trying to foster reciprocal learning both between the government and our residents. So I could easily talk all day about just for budgeting, but uh, given that this is a community-led process, I would much rather you hear from residents who really led this program. So to that, we have put together um, a video and it's not actually complete. We're supposed to wrap this up next week. So consider this your exclusive sneak peek, but we have a video that um, interviews our residents and follows the process from their perspective We didn't want to lose the opportunity to share that with you today, so I'm going to attempt to play this, but I think I need to stop, share, and share my entire screen. So one moment. Okay. And I'm going to hope the audio works. I have someone on deck trying to listen in for us. I have oh, oh,
7: oh, sorry let's see
10: I have lived in Denver seventy five years all my life. Denver participatory budgeting came in I did a presentation, I went out of my comfort zone, and it's real exciting to find out how government works. I had never been a part of anything like this before.
11: When I heard about it in Denver, I was like, wow, I'm going to be a part of this because it's bigger than myself, it's bigger than all the individuals, and it's really crucial to our democracy.
9: Participatory Budgeting is a program where the city allocates a portion of its budget to the residents. And through a series of stages, residents decide how to spend those dollars. In our first cycle, there was $2 million, and residents designed a rulebook to figure out how the program would work. Then we collected over 1,100 ideas from residents, then narrowed those ideas down to 21 actual proposals that went on to ballots. And then we had residents come out and vote and tell us what was most important to them now the city is constructing
2: those projects. It's really the definition, I should think, of a grassroots movement. The community members propose these projects
10: As a person in a wheelchair or a scooter, it's hard to get around because the sidewalks are cracked up and small. We had about three or four meetings here, and everyone decided that we needed wider sidewalks. I live in a community where things are needed, especially a a community garden. It's so important for our children that are coming up.
11: We started off receiving a huge list of different proposals. I worked alongside my fellow colleagues to create different policies that we would send to the voters.
10: We had a big voting party here and we made videos and We went out to different sites and we hosted events to get people to
11: vote. I felt really empowered being in these spaces. Everyone was there to serve their community and the voices and needs of people. I think we all had a collective vision.
9: There are people who are not allowed to have their voices heard. People like our youth and currently incarcerated individuals our unhoused residents and we wanted those community members to know that they did have a place in this program and a real say in in how dollars would be spent. We hosted meetings in the jail for instance and I spoke with a lot of young women who said that they don't have a place to live and their ideas were things like tiny homes. It was amazing to see that little kernel of an idea move throughout the process and now we have five new tiny homes
3: being able to build community in a way that's so like raw and organic means a lot to me. I was on the streets and in foster care as a youth and actually started volunteering at the Safe Outdoor Spaces and fell in love with the work. I think it's really cool that everyone voted on these inherently positive things for our community. A lot of the times when you vote, you don't always see the outcome. Being able to expand our site adds five homes, which means five less people sleeping outside.
10: When people participate in everything, it makes them more excited about being a part of something that they got involved in. Everybody wins. Everybody feels better. Everybody's able to say, I'm a part of something, and I matter. I just hope that this program will keep going for years and years, so other people have a chance to improve their
9: communities with the first cycle. We had dedicated residents who brought nine very important infrastructure projects here to Denver. My hope is that participatory budgeting is a gateway for residents to get involved in other ways with their government. At the end of the day, that's how we strengthen democracy by having excited and activated community voices involved in all levels of government.
11: When we have spaces to engage in such crucial aspects of our policy, our voice matters. Participatory budgeting, it can help build stronger relationships between our government and our residents to come together as one collective power to build strong, effective solutions that truly speak to the needs of the people.
9: Transition us back. (laughs) Um, So that's essentially the cycle one kind of in a nutshell, uh, all of the residents that you, all the people you heard from, besides myself, those are all residents from our community who had different leadership roles throughout the program. And let me just go into share mode real quick. Um, and I think it's because we had such strong, diverse community voices at the top in those leadership roles, we were really able to see an inclusive program kind of roll down throughout all phases um, of the cycle. So. Um, What you kind of didn't see quite as much detail in the video, we had $2 million with our first cycle and we had over 4,200 residents across the city come out and get involved. Like I said, we were able to see kind of more diverse and representative participation than we get at a lot of our traditional public meetings. So of those who decided to submit an idea for the process, 97% of those participants identified as black, indigenous people of color half reported earning less than $25,000 a year, half hadn't earned a high school diploma, either because they were youth or because they hadn't progressed that far in their own educational journeys. We were also happy to actually give resources and support to community members so they could go out and do some of this outreach work. So Ms. Phyllis, our woman in a scooter who you saw in that video, she was one of our mini grant recipients who activated her community. She lives at one of Denver Housing Authority's um, buildings for seniors and people with disabilities. And really got behind a project that ended up being funded to widen sidewalks so we were able to resource and partner with residents across the program and we're happy to see these stats and these percentages but i think as we mentioned in the video we also know that what's harder to quantify is that we're actually we're slowly building trust with residents and we're finding ways for them to continue to get involved with their government our high schooler the 15 year old you saw here he's actually volunteering with the city council person this year which is very exciting Sonia, who you heard from, was appointed to one of Mayor Johnston's transition committees. So we see them getting involved, and that's very exciting for us. We hope to build on that in cycle two. I also want to take a moment to explain our methodology, because similarly, the city is trying to find ways that we can take our other processes and really marry them to a process like this. So what we're looking at for cycle two is really focusing in on the west part of Denver, You might recognize a lot of these neighborhoods, they align very closely with the West Area Plan. We've also tacked on Westwood, we know that's a neighborhood that has seen a lot of historic underinvestment. So we're hoping to concentrate what we have for cycle two, which is a million dollars of funds into these neighborhoods, really leverage some of the incredible outreach we saw during the West Area Plan, use that as a starting point for residents kind of offer to them um, ideas and themes that we've already heard from their neighbors and their communities and see if there's any projects that they would like to elevate through a process like participatory budgeting and actually put some specific funds behind so we are also working with capital projects that was what we had for cycle one and we're going to be sticking with our infrastructure projects again for cycle two Um, and we're actually starting the process Uh, kind of right about now. So we'll be going to city council on Monday to give an informational update on the process. We're actually right now recruiting for some of those resident leadership roles, our steering committee members and some of our community connector mini grants. Um, We'll do that over the next couple of weeks uh, and then hope to convene that body, that community steering committee this fall and start the idea collection process at the end of the year. After we work with staff to kind of build out proposals we hope to go out for our community vote kind of spring, summer of next year. So, with that, unless there's anything that else that Annalise would like to mention, I think that concludes our presentation.
0: Thank you. uh the, the Thank you so much
12: for the presentation. Awesome. Um, really resonates with a lot of stories that might really make affordable housing. Okay the fact that we've done implement our plans in the program with men the further and we're really excited progress have a project for housing developers using the size of, or, you know, stormwatering and things like this. My question is how do we scale it? <laughs> and how do we uh, really get ahead, I think, coordinate with this project and need I mean, you know, what you're doing straight
7: how do we make bigger? Yeah, yeah that's I think the first piece, right, is acknowledging that we have a team. So now um, we have five, six people, some six we have six walking people in CPD that um, were kind of reorienting their work program to focus on it, where we didn't have that, you know, level of intentionality before it was a little bit more piecemeal. So I want to acknowledge, like it's already scaled since, you know, eight months ago in that aspect that being said, right. We'd look at the list, you know, we have sometimes up to, you know, 200 recommendations in a neighborhood plan. Um, let alone, you know, another hundred plus in a plan. And so, um, a lot of it is like our team isn't solely going to be successful if we're just the ones trying to implement right a lot of it is about changing systems and structures of communication and prioritization with many of our implementing partners and so that's kind of a, a kind of um, secondary focus that i think is going to take a little bit more time But what that effectively means, and I think there's actually already been some significant um, work on that in the CIP process that we just want to be able to expand and actually use in other funding ones, is, um, you know, two years ago, Kurt worked very closely with Emily Snyder at the time, and it was like, how do we actually have So you thought yeah, that is not laugh. going. <laughs>
0: Good to go? Good. Okay, You're Heidi and then George.
2: Thank you. So, Ghosh's question was exactly where my head was at through the whole presentation, which is there's this interesting intersection occurring between your new group on a lease and implementation, the participatory budgeting, and what we heard about sidewalks. The, our our um, MPIs were always looking at sidewalk infrastructure, and now funds coming in from 307. So I'm hoping that you have a seat at the table as we figure out how we're going to spend these funds and potentially bond against them so that we funnel those dollars to the the, the problem of Gosha's seeing, where we could take those dollars and go into that area and get all of those sidewalks built so we're not depending upon these little redevelopments. So, um do you do you have a seat at the table with determining how we're going to prioritize projects for with the 307 funds so that they follow our our plans that we've worked so hard to say this is where we want sidewalk building
13: not directly at this point but we're working on coordinating and, and figuring out how we can get better plugged in and activated into that
2: yeah i i hope that you go with guster yeah and and Get your seat at the table because as I look at how we're going to struggle to figure out how to allocate these funds, that really, y'all should be in in figuring out how to do those. So please, um, please work with Gusto to get yourselves at the table and and then just thank you for the presentation. This is really um, amazing to see. The participatory budgeting is really the best of what we can be as a, as a civil society um, government and constituents. So keep up that. Amazing. That's great to see. And then, of course, um, you know, from an implementation standpoint, um, that that's always been important to this board and then to see that move forward is great. And then just to hope that in your work, that as we finish area plans, that there's ability to educate our electeds, and hopefully on that small regulatory piece, right, the infrastructure is big, but there is a regulatory piece specifically with zoning as we saw tonight with the with the ADUs, that our citizens shouldn't be having to bring those in when our plans clearly say that ADUs are supported throughout the city to get some legislative resonance in that implementation. Yeah, certainly.
13: And I will note the regulatory aspect is still a significant portion of implementing plans, you know, it's a third and if not more in some, which is why I think too much of, you know, I don't want to step on my colleagues toes, but much of the map amendments team and how they're trying to reorient their work program is to um, start scoping, identifying and advancing rezonings um, kind of during that last drafting phase of the plan. So we're building upon momentum. So I think we saw, um, you know, some of those come through um, more recently. But right now we're scoping them for West, um, and so that includes things like ADUs. It also includes things like getting rid of former Chapter 59. It, it includes looking at, you know, some of the kind of old kind of neighborhood nodes, if you will, and getting them more aligned from a zoning perspective. So that impetus is either not on you know the the neighborhood or the you know existing homeowner but also too we're getting ahead of development and we're setting the framework that is most effective from a regulatory perspective to be able to implement the plan so Um, I'm sure that you'll be hearing more from that team kind of as they're scoping, you know, each of the plans, same with near Southeast, there was the ones that Kendra Black kind of pushed through um, pretty quickly thereafter, but then we're still looking at kind of a CPD initiated kind of comprehensive package to that as well. So that's another piece that's being integrated into the work program, knowing too, though, that so many of our um, tools, like there's zoning is one aspect. There's text amendments as another. Sometimes we have the the zoning text to accomplish it. Sometimes we don't. So that's another layer that, that our team can um, sometimes provide. And then there's the like programmatic aspect of it. And so, um, you know, so making sure that also we're looking at how we implement and have synergy across all three of those aspects um, is important and not just saying oh we rezoned the neighborhood for adus like check we're done we implemented it but acknowledging that there might need to be an expansion of programs such as like the west denver renaissance collaborative to allow you know adus to be more attainable and accessible for many homeowners um in the area
2: that's just fantastic work on uh, thanks that's- to you both for your leadership and commitment to our great city okay
0: mm-hmm. jordan and then on joe so i agree completely I mean, both of your entire team on this is really maybe to see if things feel good. And it's exactly like says, what we need to get to. And so on that note, and throwing out this question, I, I guess maybe I'm is this the elephant in the room of how do we scale this is how do you get more money? <laughs> right? uh, uh, $2.3 million and $2 million, respectively, are yeah. great starts. They're the bucket. So where does this pot of money where, yep. where is where is the source of these funds to begin with and yep.
7: how could we get that to grow yeah
13: certainly um so the special revenue fund is actually funded through the general fund and kind of the calculation and impetus around those um dollars was um like sounds pathetic saying it but it's one percent of all capital projects that we were um, evaluating on it and so when we go and talk to dottie about <laughs> these things we're like you guys need more funding so like that is That is very well known and kind of a key objective of ours. And I think part of that, right, is showing the success of the programs and why we want data and metrics to say that this is something that the city needs to be prioritizing and putting more resources to, because if we're willing to put X amount of resources into creating the rec center that the residents want, we also need to be able to put relative resources to ensure that those same residents can benefit that from that rec center that they've requested. Um, So that is a key topic of um, discussion internally, kind of strategizing on the best way to um, explore that. You know, same also goes with the participatory budgeting program as well. I think given kind of the mayoral transition, this year's cycle is much smaller than I think some of us would prefer, which is why we're focusing it just on one geography where the previous cycle had a few geographies plus a citywide ballot. Um, that being said, you know, we're hopeful that once again, we can show the success, the value. That's even why, you know, one of the things we created was like, let's actually create a video like because... A video is a lot more engaging of residents on something that's so participant driven than just like us being like, hey, look, we hit like incredible equity metrics that I've never seen be able to achieve all of that, like credit to like Kiki and the other folks working on um, PV cycle one. And so I think a lot of that gets to kind of the point of telling the story, showing value, building partnerships with electeds. This year's, you know, budget process is kind of interesting because we started it with one administration and we'll end it with another, but I think in future cycles there's that. And then we're also, um, I think, a lot more strategically going to be going after larger dollar grant funding um, that can, that is specifically focused on plan implementation and whether that's conducting next step studies that, you know, Dottie says, well... <laughs> your plan says this, but we need that next step study or that fi- like feasibility, that you know design. So being able to advance dollars in that way is also something that we're pursuing right now.
7: Another question I have, thank you for that, also glad to how we can have your to do
0: that, um, is maybe you'd to answer this, but how uh, does being that, that two-thirds of the, the plan recommendations are infrastructure or services, does that change the way in which Dottie or the other departments engage in the planning process? Mm-hmm. For it's
13: a good question, and I don't know, but I, I do think um, I think you guys are aware that we're doing an NPI evaluation because you had a work session associated to that, you know, a week or two ago. Um, And so I would need to follow up a little bit more on like they're thinking of how they engage in that piece. But I think it just speaks to, right? Like capital infrastructure is something that people see, live and experience every single day. Like regardless of whether you like to bike or you own a car, you are experiencing the street, right? And it is either making your life easier, safer, (laughs) nicer or whatever. And so that, you know, I think is something that there's a reason why it's such a significant component of our plans in the same way too you aren't feeling supported and like you have kind of the safety net of resources to allow your business your home to thrive um that's going to be an important consideration that continues to come up in the plans um so
0: I know, yeah so i know value always has a seat at the table in the plan so i think it's rigorous to involve taking have that built right mm-hmm. sure from the very beginning with yeah. people yep yeah,
13: yeah
0: whole plan trajectory to get that
13: uh, yeah CRT. yeah and i think too like there's with how dotty is organized too that's something that we've been noticing is um the folks that are more like classically trained planners in department have a very different tune and approach than maybe folks doing the site development review on a day-to-day and so a lot of you know what we've been I think, trying to acknowledge is maintaining continuity through kind of Dottie's, you know, planning, design, build kind of mechanism of how they're structured and making sure that there's, you know, partnerships in each. And that's even with PV. It's like, OK, we have, you know, our Dottie rep. But I was like, but we need one in like each of these groups because like they touch so many aspects of safety in the public realm. So. Great. Thank you so much. Jo? Yeah. Um, first off, I just wanted
0: to
1: say um congratulations. This is a great um program and loved the storytelling aspect of it. I think it really um, underscores the importance with showing the various participants. Um uh, I would say definitely stay on that track and some of the things you shared after, which may be part of the video, about how folks are integrated with you are and um get involved. They're they're more bought in. Um that really warmed my heart to see. Um, I uh, just want to ask a few logistical questions um, about the process, and uh, I agree. I would love to see uh, the dollar scale, the, the the whole scope scaled up, um, that big underscoring the impact for all But for most MPI plans, I don't know, uh, I guess this is a question. So what percentage of recommendations were covered in this process, I guess, or um, for the areas that you focused on, what percentage remain undone, Mm -hmm. and what's the process to maybe go back and do some of those capital or infrastructure sort of
13: projects? Yeah. Yeah, in terms of numbers, I don't think we have those, and I think it's important to note, too, a little bit of um, cycle one was run out of Department of Finance. And so CPD was at a table and we were kind of introducing like, hey, can we have some of the focus areas be associated to NPIs? But I don't think it was maybe as intentional as what we're trying to do moving forward on that. Um, and where the I think also as much as NPIs we wanna use as a foundational background bone, there's also like CASR has been doing like special needs assessments or rapid assessments. Thank you rapid assessments, um, particularly around kind of their climate fund. So we're going and kind of using that as an additional layer of information, as well as the TEPs, which stands for
9: Neighborhood Transit Mobility Program.
13: Thank you. Um, but there, you know, so those are happening, but not all of those requests are funded. So we're also calling those to say, okay, can we kind of create a comprehensive list? And I think the key piece that we're trying to do by having it as kind of the plans as a starting place is like one especially in the western like community members just spent three years talking to the city about what their priorities are we don't want to go back out and be like so what are your ideas for the neighborhood like one ear the other right and so we want to be able to give a foundation but also still create enough space where there's ownership and refinement for that we also will be very candid a million dollars is nowhere near the dollars that we need to implement the plan but it allows space for quick wins trust building residents to really engage in a meaningful way that maybe they haven't been able to and i think this program is a great way for us to engage your non-typical actors and i think a key piece of that is a significant portion of the professional services funding so we have um then two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for professional services a large majority of that actually goes into compensating residents for their leadership roles and participation on steering committee meetings, which is something that we don't traditionally do. And right. this is an, a very important carve out because that is oftentimes a significant barrier to folks participating is that kind of time cost energy as well. Yeah. Um, no, I think
1: that's, that's really, this is important stuff. And I think you want to just put out, um, it's not even cautions, but it's it's just some things to think about. Um, it, it, when you're talking at this scale, in, in involving the folks that haven't been at the table, we want to make sure that they are not put at odds with the folks that have come out for three years um, and who will say, OK, this is great, but we've said this before this process, and where's this stuff? Um, so that then they back off again. Um, and I think the scaling will uh, reinforce folks' inclinations to become involved, so that they don't feel tokenized, you know, through yep. the process. And um, these are all things that I would love to see. But I know we've got a lot of plans we've asked folks about over the past four or five years. A lot of recommendations, um, and um, if there's any way to integrate all of that as best as possible everybody feels heard everybody and and maybe there's a better chance at um the um seamlessness across departments
6: mm-hmm. and, and yeah plans. does
13: yep. that make sense yeah yeah and i would note that i think another key piece that we're being a lot more proactive about is um early on coordination and buy-in from our agency partners right so instead of them being like hey the residents voted on this and here you have four four hundred thousand dollars we had a few meetings you know, in the spring and you said, yeah, that dollar amount is correct, which is like oversimplifying last cycle. But I think we're really focused on building relationships and buy-in and even two other departments saying, well, we might actually be able to bring some additional funds to this depending upon. So I think part of that is like building that system of buy-in where other departments are excited. They see the synergy, they see the opportunity. I also did just want to pull up this, um, uh graphic here just because i think what is quite unique about this relative to like any other planning process planning processes you have the same 12 20 whatever size it is meeting throughout the duration of the entire process and they are the people with some level of power more than you know someone who maybe attends one or two meetings Mm -hmm. what i think is kind of cool is that in each phase it is a different kind of group that is taking ownership of it. And so that sort of resident design, and Kiki, feel free if I'm butchering this because you are truly the expert, but in that resident design phase, they're saying, what is the process? What do we want this to look like? Who can vote? How do, can kids vote? Which you know they did in the first cycle, right? Can people who are undocumented vote? They did in that last cycle, right? So they get to make the rule book. Then, though, they hand it over to the mini grantees, which are really then tasked with conducting the outreach, engaging the community, saying, like, what are your ideas? And then new group, budget delegates. And so I think to sort of in that alternative system to what we traditionally use in planning, it allows for new voices to continually come in and build off of other people's ideas. And so I think to just the caution that you were throwing with, like, making sure that we're not disregarding, you know, prior ones, it's this is a continual building and evolution and it also I think creates a different style of like consensus build like the I don't think consensus is like the primary objective. It's really building off of resident ideas and and being able to kind of see that through. So that sounds
8: good.
13: Yeah. Yeah. Um
8: I just I appreciate you guys so much. I know I reached out a while ago like, and I was like should be doing something about this and you're like we are (laughs) you guys are miles ahead of me which is appropriate and wonderful um and i just i love uh where we're going with this i wanted to dive a little bit deeper on both what jordan brought up and what angel brought up in terms of um scaling the actual money that we have specifically in terms of the impact investments srf um can you share a little bit about how you're looking at, okay, this is what we have, and this is this is what we need yeah. to really be effective in sort of the anti-displacement aspect.
13: Yeah, yeah. Um, a slide that I deleted, but probably would have been relevant to this conversation, is um, just in the initial kind of, you know, conversations with agencies and saying, like, what would you like to fund? The funding requests were about five times. What we were actually had to spend and so i think even in that brief period right it shows there's a demand there's a need for additional resources and supplemental so i think part of that once again i'm going to overuse the term storytelling but is showing hey it's not like it's not just a fund that like an agency's like we don't know how to spend this like this generated way more money than we were expecting it's like a you no know, there's a fund where the need far out the the resources Um, And so I think that's a key piece. Um, You know, I think right now we're in a little bit of a reflecting period as we're getting to know the new administration and their priorities and how we can kind of align this work and make sure that there's continued support um, and scaling of this. Um, So I think that's kind of one piece is like showing the demand, um, building up capacity. I also want to note that the city is doing other anti-displacement work, right? Um, outside of this funding mechanism it was really created actually out of a blueprint recommendation that said you know the city should evaluate and consider how its capital impact um, infrastructure impacts communities and respond right so that um, you know this project and fund in and of itself came out of community conversations you know in 2018-2019 and allowed us to create a system to deliver on that Um, but I mean that's that's like on my work program, like fall, like in early winter, is a big strategy piece around how we grow this. So, I guess,
8: uh, my second question, following up on on what Angel brought up with how participatory budgeting is interfacing with the MPI program, um, I'm just, you know, I share the same the same concern about i like having it as a foundation i like that it's still an open conversation but there is a little bit of of that fear of like we identified our priorities and now let's pick up some new ones that are actually going to jump the line in some ways because there's this this other tool that's available um and i don't i I don't have an immediate way around that but i uh, also think that it could be beneficial in the decision making I love that with the PV, we we sort of add the price tags to help in the decision-making. And I think that that would potentially be a really good opportunity as well in the implementation section of the MPIs to set some expectations for the community. You know, we have the time frame, long-term, okay, um, but what is the budget for this? What's the reality of this being um, instituted in my lifetime? <laughs> um, so just thinking about how we can interweave those processes together, I think is just so critical. That's all.
0: That wasn't a question. I'm sorry. I agree. Before we go for (laughs) seconds, I'll jump in uh, with a couple of quick uh, comments, and some of them are comments and some of them are questions, I suppose. Following on what Mary just said, it, it does seem that there's a great opportunity here for your work to inform MPI's plans going forward. And I don't know how how engaged that is in that conversation, but it seems like, boy, here's the implementation challenges and what we're finding in terms of community understanding and expectations.
13: Yeah. Um, So I will say we're very involved. Um, So um, Courtney Levingston on my team is kind of the principal overseeing the implementation management system, and she is serving as the key person on our team actively on the MPI evaluation team. So, like, she's in the weeds of it every week. Um, but even then, we've now had, I think, kind of two work sessions with our team internally to say, what should the implementation section of the plans look like? What should they be? Um, because every NPI plan has kind of taken a slightly different approach and evolution, which is natural, right? Like we evolve and we we make improvements. Um, so we've been having a lot of conversations internally um, around that. And t- hopefully we come with a good solution that I think actually doesn't just say this is what implementation is but it says this is how we should go about implementation here's realistically what it's going to take to do that is the direction that i, I would like to go right.
0: and i guess you know kind of to mary's point in terms of setting expectation setting it's not in my mind just about implementation but what about but what is also within a plan Reasonable in terms of setting expectations for what is possible, even in the grand thinking, yep. that makes sense. Yep. Um, question for you on the uh, the uh, SRF for priority neighborhoods. Will that be expanding to other nest neighborhoods?
13: Yeah. Um so this uh, the nest neighborhoods was actually not a consideration of it um the methodology of how we did it was um we looked at any capital project of either a significant renovation or a new facility um if you will over 10 million dollars which is most um and then we um kind of Evaluated it through a model that was kind of based off of academic literature and also then had neighborhood specific demographics, so acknowledging that if you put a new park in Cherry Creek. It's going to have a very different impact on property values than a new park in East Colfax right and so, um, you know, we worked with consultants to create a mechanism for us to evaluate how different types. Of capital investments impact neighborhoods differently and so basically as we re-up what is the capital list of projects we will kind of re-evaluate all of those and with that we might expand but essentially those five neighborhoods were ones that were identified as seeing high displacement risk um, as a result of it and they were also ones that kind of had a second tier of what we called um i think it was like catalytic indicators but essentially it's sort of the acknowledgement that right like property and rent values rise time over time you know and of course there's bumps but like generally speaking there's that rise then you have a one-time investment and so it kind of bumps your property values up once like brt but then you kind of continue on that trajectory what kind of um through a lot of research and study on gentrification and displacement was sort of an acknowledgement that also there's sort of these factors that we can track and understand where there's sort of a catalytic additional bump because homes are in the lowest quartile. They're the most affordable areas, if you will, kind of from a naturally occurring perspective. Um, And, you know, communities of color, higher renters, a lot of the indicators that NEST and other agencies use kind of determine vulnerability, but was specific to this helped us kind of say, okay, not only is brt going to increase home values by say five percent don't quote me on that Um, i don't remember exactly where the studies were but we can anticipate that it will kind of be doubled by an x factor and there will actually be a 10 percent increase and when we look at where the runs are now where we had maybe four hundred units that were naturally occurring affordable to households earning 60 percent ami now we can actually see it's only going to be um, you know 400 of those are now going to be affordable um, at kind of a naturally occurring affordable level and so that kind of aspect helped inform what the priority neighborhoods were and where we wanted to direct it once again should funding expand there might be an appropriateness to further expand it but this fund was really created with the intention and i should include the ordinance um, in it, but was really intended to capture not just where displacement was happening generally, but where displacement was happening as a result of city investments. And so that's
0: that's good clarification, and I, I often as I look at it as I often do through the lens of my own neighborhood, which is finally a nest neighborhood, and has seen some significant city investment, but beyond that, yeah. we don't see a lot. So it's yeah. it, it, it's kind of. The same neighborhoods always seem to be on the list. And there are neighborhoods like Clayton, Mm -hmm. which are not. And I fear that we're going to find that these neighborhoods that are kind of in the middle there are not going to see these strategies until after the transformation,
13: after the yeah. displacement was happened. Yeah. I mean, I think the 39th Avenue Greenway, right, is a perfect example where the city put in substantial city investment. I mean, like I remember a couple of years ago, like walking by an open house and they had renderings of the 39th Avenue Greenway and all of a sudden, you know, that home price went up substantially. So I think to um, what we're hoping to get to is an is a mechanism that we can be as proactive as possible. So we're kind of also conducting like long-term stabilization things like through community land trusts or cooperative housing or through, you know, business employment support systems. So people have a secure safety net where they aren't going to be as susceptible to those market impacts. And then also though pairing it with more immediate emergency Based, you know, relief or, you know, businesses during the construction, how do you do that? But part of it's also setting them up for success prior to construction, making sure that they're a healthy business that can weather, you know, slower periods as well.
0: I appreciate it. The one last comment I want to make uh, is that this question about about the money and not being enough money and all of that, it, 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 it seems to me that there's a great opportunity given the deep dive that your team has done into the plans and into these needs to try to elevate that um, from that perspective and from the the work that you guys have done, looking at that for the mayor's office as the mayor then starts to set those priorities as opposed to just, I hear a lot about, well, talking to this agency, talking to that agency, but it seems like there's a, a nice opportunity for kind of a broad a view that's really driven from those plans they're supposed to be guiding us to sort of elevate that out as, as the budget priorities come out so for what it's worth um, yeah sorry,
3: sorry. Uh, i had a comment and question so also great presentation all this content is amazing i think you guys are doing great work i think i love seeing all the photos of you guys working with the community as well and everyone seems to be looking like they're having a great time um so one thing that I was gonna bring up and there was briefly mentioned is the CIP process and how you guys might be involved in that. And so I'm aware of how CBD has been engaged in the CIP process in the past, um, but I wanna bring up that in other cities, sometimes the planning department even manages the CIP process because it's the planners that are making the plan from you know, looking 20 years you know, in the future and then making sure that there's that coordination between all the different departments and it's getting down to that level of actual implementation, budgeting and whatnot. So um, I guess I'm curious, I know back in 2019, there was a done right process, I think mean, the city coordinated the citywide plans very well. And then now, you know, CPD has MPI plans. I know other departments have other initiatives going on. So I'm curious, like for your new group, how maybe your focus might be implementing the MPI plans, but maybe other departments may not have priorities in that area, or how are you coordinating those priorities amongst departments and making sure that those recommendations are being reflected in other departments' budgets as well? so that will lead me down to my quest, uh, question is, I'm wondering what is CPD's current role or your group's role in the CIP process or what do you envision your role and what is that coordination like between departments so we ensure that it's not just departments fighting against each other for you know, these your individual projects, but you're making sure that you're coordinating amongst the project and we're back into you know, achieving plan guidance, I guess.
13: Um, thank you for the easy question, Sarah. <laughs> So I think like in the CIP process, essentially, um, Kurt and Kristen on my team, um, they are part of a committee that evaluates and reviews all capital projects. And so I think the key piece that they were successful, especially Kurt in previous years, was actually having neighborhood and citywide plans as a criteria to that scoring. And so they're at the table advocating for projects and trying to um, bring that, you know plan, piece forward that being said i think of course right there's always going to be some level of well parks wants this and dotty wants this or even within dotty right there's going to be difference of we need to you know widen this lane i don't know actually but um we'll just throw that out versus like bike infrastructure right so there's always going to be competing priorities but i think it gets back to like reorienting and getting the city on the same page of why we plan and it's for better decision-making. So we aren't actually in a spot in which we're pitting um, agencies against one another, but rather we have clearly articulated plans. And I think that's something not to put it on like MPI, but I think we want, um, I think a little bit more strategy and intentionality out as kind of one of our key asks from this group and MPI plans is there's a lot in there And yes, there's high level community priorities, but let's actually have a conversation around trade-offs. And given that we are going to always be in a resource constrained space, how do we start to introduce those conversations to community so they understand to like the dollar amount to actually implement this plan, I'm gonna throw out a number is $640 billion, right? Mm But i actually don't think that is unrealistic it's definitely in the billions when we start kind of thinking through these things and so i think part of it is having more intentional conversations in the planning stage having the implementation plan potentially have some real dollars that are legitimate so people understand the reality of it um and then i think continuing to grow our role in the cip process um yes i've i've certainly seen that some other you know cities do have the cip um housed out of cpd and i think you know um, that is something for us to, you know, continue to think about how we can create, you know, a holistic approach to investments throughout our city, and whether that's by housing it in a department or, or actually just creating a systems change. But I sometimes want to be careful that um, changes in org charts don't actually an org chart in and of itself won't create systemic change, right? you need the the willingness, the partnerships and the systems itself to change too. So I think a lot of it is um, kind of exploring how we improve that process. But I think it's, it's one that in many ways is actually a model of where we have probably most effectively changed that tool to help implement the plans.
12: So kind of building on what you're saying, um, I think our plans in general the component of implementation kind of weak The chapter on implementation usually it's just like well here are some projects and we need to find some money to implement them that project so i'm hoping that your work is going to inform how we structure that implementation piece in the plans moving forward so there is more of that meat on the bone and i would almost hope that it actually becomes a criteria for us to adopt it adopting the plan so we don't plans that don't have reasonable structure implementation plan because, yes, it creates the frustration, and it's really kind of this process of wouldn't be nice. Like, wouldn't be nice if we had all these things, but that's really hard to follow up. But my question, actually, that it was a comment. My question is, um, did you <clears throat> build this program based on examples from other cities, and like what did you learn what other cities are doing, and how did you modify it here, and mm-hmm. what, what, what can we learn from others that we can do better?
13: Yeah. Um I will note it's very much in the infancy stages and kind of I think the brain child like in part of the PS reorg was actually Kurt Upton. And so um, you know, I have to give credit um to his kind of foresight and acknowledgement that we needed more structure around effectively being able to do that. Um, but one of the things that our team has been kind of doing is really looking at peer cities and a, a big piece of one of our research components and conversations that we're having is how do we get more funding? Um and kind of learning the different mechanisms and approaches that they've done also how do they you know create report outs that are meaningful um austin has i think a pretty cool um, mapping system where they essentially like create an interactive map that applies the recommendations in a way so you can look at your neighborhood and click and see like the plan recommended improving this you know um intersection here in this way the plan recommended improving this parklet or adding something here the plan recommended bringing more density or whatever so um you know it's still i would say like someone who's like on the nerdier side like and likes planning would use but i think it's a very tangible way of taking this document and being able to see what is being done and so i think we're looking at models like that once again to like better tell the story make the plan relevant and digestible to people rather than you know as as many photos and graphics as there are it's still a lot for people to understand and I think too that's you know certainly a conversation that the MPI evaluation team is having is like we need the plans to be have enough detail for us to effectively implement and they also need to be approachable and understandable to community and that doesn't always align kind of from like a language access perspective too um so i think that you making our our implementation structures more engaging more high level more relevant to community is something that we're certainly looking at models and hoping we can duplicate in some some form or fashion any other comments or
0: questions from the table okay. Uh,
1: Lisa,
0: thank you very much. Yeah. You, uh, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew quickly for uh, an item. and
14: Yes, <laughs> one item actually on the agenda, and then one other item that I forgot to put on the agenda, real quickly. Uh, the first is, um, as you all recall from our uh, recent discussions, it's time to elect uh, a vice chair for. Uh, uh, the planning board. So I have, we've, uh, I've received two nominations, uh, and I'll ask you all to just reach out uh, to me to let me know uh, you'd like to vote for, and I'll announce uh, the, whoever uh, receives the most votes next week. So the two nominees are uh, Fred and Gosha. Uh, so if you please reach out uh, to me, I, I believe you all have my contact information, uh, and let me know. Uh, uh, who you would vote uh, for, uh, and we'll announce the results next week. I'm sorry, the next uh, planning board. And will you reach out to the members who are not here? Yes, I will certainly do that. Yep. And I also just wanted to uh, give a quick reminder and update about the August 30 uh, workshop time that uh, we've talked about a while a while ago, and I sent a, a, a say the date calendar item uh, a couple weeks ago, and it looks like most of you will be able to attend. I believe we are confirmed again to use uh, the space at 3840 uh, uh, York Street. So thanks for that, Fred. Uh, and I will be reaching out uh, in the next uh, week with, uh, some, uh, with an agenda of topics for that discussion, kind of narrowing down some of the, the, the ideas that you all proposed and mentioned wanting to talk about uh, when we last had a workshop uh, at the end of the NPI workshop uh, last month. So stay tuned for uh, for that next week. Uh, let me know your votes for uh, Vice Chair prior to the next planning board meeting, which will be the September 16th. Can I asked the calendar, at
3: least it's not showing on my
0: side, but the calendar is
14: a time to Yeah, uh, I will update it uh, with, the, with the, the address I'm sorry, you have not been to this uh, space that we've used a few times uh, before, so.
0: All right. does anyone have anything else? If not, I think we are, thank you all. Thank you.
6: Recording stopped.
2: Good.